Hi, and welcome to Alder Pod number nine. This is Chapter Seven Sylvan de Loire. The moons were high in the sky. Pesra to the east at half full, her craggy depths visible at this distance like black scars across her pale face, and Manira now in the northeast, smooth and perfect, nearly full. Their combined light filtered down and illuminated the waters in Farway Harbor, casting the sails of hundreds of boats in a silvery glow. The wind was low, the smell of salt water high, and at the edge of a long pier sat Sylvan de Loire, one of the Queen's Rose Guard, dangling his feet over the edge, a long black cig in one hand. He drew the cig to his lips and took long and steady, inhaling the sweet, spicy smoke. Then he blew it out in a thin stream, watching the coils of smoke writhe about each other in the moonlight like tortured spirits. Below him, all was quiet. Occasionally the creak of a ship or the low voices of those still aboard reached him. As a rule, Sylvan hated ships, but he liked the sounds of them, the feeling of being around them. At the other end of the pier, some hundred strides or so, the local inn and fish house, the Salty Mackerel, was in full swing. Two dozen of his own regiment and the locals were dancing blooming day dances and drinking wine, ale, and harder stuff. Mostly harder stuff. And up until half a turn ago, Sylvan was among them, drunk with revelry. He'd even managed to make with the prettiest of the three bar wenches, back behind the outhouses. And she was right, too. He was the most fetching of the regiment. And though the coupling had been far from glamorous, and nothing like his significantly more refined tastes, it had been satisfying, at least at first. Had he the option, he would have chosen silk sheets and a large four-posted bed with wine and cheese to follow up immediately, not the splintering, shadowed wreck of an outhouse. But as it was, here on the road in this remote little rest stop on the way to Hartley Castle, he took what he could without question. The cigs weren't bad, at least. Locally grown and rolled, they had a pleasant taste, if somewhat sweeter than he was accustomed to. The cig smoke reminded him of home, of Hartley, back when he had to hide that sort of thing to escape the berating by Aunt Maitlis. It was three years ago, he reckoned, virtually to the day when his world had abruptly fallen to bits. His cousin, Ellen, the Queen's niece and heir to the throne, was about to be married off to some fat-headed noble named Richard something or other. Darlington? No, that wasn't it. Regardless, he was a sod and a prig, and Sylvan hated him. And now, in retrospect, it was possible that Richard wasn't as terrible as all that, and simply that Sylvan had been madly, impossibly jealous of the man because, in all frankness, he had been madly, impossibly in love with Ellen. Still was. And at the time, or at least for that one night, she'd fancied him more than just a friend and a cousin because, by the gods, he'd had her perfectly and beautifully in the lower garden, her whispering in his ear, begging him to do it, promising the moon and stars and the very well of her own soul. At least, he thought she had. He'd wanted it as much, if not more, just to spite Richard. And of course, Malus had found out. It was only after he saw the blood that he realized that he'd done something irreparable, and that worse even, 
Ellen had lied to him, promising no one would know. He hated being lied to, especially over a lack of information. In the end, Malus loved Sylvan too much to kill him, and Richard was stupid enough and happy enough to be marrying the heir not to challenge Sylvan to a duel, if even he knew. Sylvan wasn't sure. Regardless, Malus had promised to keep him abroad for as long as possible and not suspend him from knighthood, with the threat that should he change his course she would indeed kill him, quickly and happily, before the realm as a rapist and a traitor to the crown. If, she amended, she were to have him back, it would be on her own terms. And so Sylvan had done everything she had asked of him, in the sincere hope that she wasn't as crooked as he thought her to be, and would, in fact, hold up her side of the bargain. Now, there was just one more deed between him and seeing Ellen again. Half a bottle of toker listed behind him, and he took a swig, followed it quickly with the sig again. A good combination, the tang of the toker and the sting of the sig. A combination he should try again. He should be happy, he thought. He should be delighted. He'd made with a woman for the first time in a while, as Libby had been giving him the cold shoulder for at least the last two weeks. And he was pleasantly stuffed, content to have consumed more than simple rations for the first time in a very long time. The feast at the inn had included braised lamb, succulent cuts of venison, garlic potatoes roasted with leeks and sage, huge hunks of crusty fresh bread from the oven, turkeys stuffed with mushrooms and sausage, and wheels of cheese larger than Sylvan's own head. He'd been partial to the sharp, aged stuff they called Bendar cheese, which he'd never had the occasion to try before. It went excellently well with the fruity red wine. But... He was not happy, not content, uneasy. Sylvan reached into his breast pocket, moving aside the golden sash and feeling for the letter he'd been given that afternoon, after arguing with Libby and venturing into faraway town itself. He turned it over in his hands again. There was no seal, no mark, just the Queen's name on the front. The paper itself looked to have been at least a hundred years old, yellowed and frayed along the side. He wondered if perhaps it was parchment. The letter had come as a surprise. He had been following a woman in a blue dress down one of the town's narrower streets that afternoon after deciding he'd had quite enough of Libby's mood. The woman was tall, with curly black hair set with two white peacock feathers, and wore an elegantly cut dress that spoke to a refined nature and an impressive purse. She was clearly no whore, that much he knew by the color of her dress, but she walked about without escort. It was his duty as a member of the Rose Guard to discover what sort of situation she was in, and help alleviate her fears in whatever way she could. Sir? Sylvan turned around, surprised at the voice. At first he saw no one, but then someone pulled urgently on his sash, and he looked down. There was a woman standing there, as tattered and faded as an old jack crow. Her skin was a landscape of wrinkles and warts, discolored by the sun, hanging off of her skull in thick curtains. Her eyes were nearly covered by overhanging flesh, but he thought they might be blue, or that could just have been the cataracts. She wore a bright yellow kerchief around her yellow-white hair, but it was the only vivid thing about her. The old woman's overcoat was muted brown, and she wore this over a brown dress and taupe stockings. 
Her shoes were black, buckled, and nearly worn through entirely. "'You are not?' she asked, as Sylvan continued to stare. She was, he reckoned, the most hideous thing he'd ever seen. Her nose was like a potato left to rot in the sun, and she had no eyebrows, like some odd underground creature. "'I am,' Sylvan said. "'Sir Sylvan de Loire, order of the—' "'Good!' she said, and thrust the letter out to him. The thrust was powerful, but it left her winded. She was trembling, twitching. "'This is for the queen. "'But I am not a—you said you were a knight.' "'I am,' said Sylvan. "'That's not—then that'll do.' "'And whom may I say this is from?' he asked, as politely as he could. The truth was, as she inched closer, the more offensive her smell became. It was somewhere between the scent of onions and lye. "'Doesn't matter. She'll understand.' Sylvan watched the woman, now noticing for the first time that she was crying. It was hard to notice as her wrinkles were so deep and her eyes so roomy, the tears got rather lost. "'Are you—are you quite all right, madam?' "'Don't think so,' she said, turning. She had a naughty old cane, which she used to help steady herself. "'I'm the last tender, so far as I know, and that spells catastrophe. But we all knew that was coming.' What will come. Been whispered for years. But that's the way of things, isn't it? I suppose so. I just... Sylvan looked over his shoulder to where the woman in blue had just been. But she was gone, and he heaved a sigh. When he turned to see the old woman, she was gone. And now, sitting on the pier, Sylvan frowned. He'd read the letter over half a dozen times, and still it made little sense. It was written in a script akin to the old manuscripts he'd seen on the few times he'd been to the library at Hartley Castle. The language, too, was archaic, with extra consonants and vowels and strange capitalization here and there. It was as if the woman herself were a relic out of the past. He had no idea what a tender was, nor what purpose she had seeking out the queen. Surely Aunt Malus would dismiss the entire thing as a joke and laugh him out of court for the fun of it. At least, a joke was the first thing Sylvan thought the letter to be. He had tried to throw it out, toss it in the fire, crumple it, but every time he stopped. He knew that, technically, this letter was the Queen's business, and had the author of the letter been more conventional, a lord or lady, perhaps, he would have taken all precautions not to read it, and instead, deliver it to her or one of her advisers as instructed. But it hadn't been sealed, and had practically fallen open into his hands. And he wasn't sure why he was so unsettled. Sylvan was, in most circumstances, impossible to rile. Having risen through the ranks of the Order of the Rose faster than anyone on record, achieving full might at the age of only sixteen, a feat that was considered by some to be on account of his relationship to the Queen as the bastard son of her favorite nephew, Lord Lucas, he was known for his often ruthless determination and writ. Yet since reading the letter from the grotesque woman, he'd felt something gnawing incessantly at the back of his mind. It was doubt. It was second-guessing. He knew what he had to do tonight, but he had never faltered before. And now, for some reason, the comments of the letter flitted about his mind. 
the words intertwining with his own thoughts as if through some strange spell. Aldersgate, the last tender. But what was this nonsense about the Aldersgate anyway? Silva knew it was part of the histories, but he couldn't remember exactly what. It had to do, he thought, with the alder trees on the continent. They grew in some particular regions in lines, close together, as well as in the territory's towns, but as far as he remembered, there was nothing remarkable about the trees themselves. Then again, he never had much of an interest in forestry. A tree was a tree. Sylvan put the letter back into his breast pocket. Evening, Sylvan. Sylvan turned around. He'd heard the approaching footfalls down the pier, too heavy for Libby and too regular to be Osric, and surmised it had to be Captain Malvin. He'd be the only member of the regiment exercising any restraint this evening. Hello, Captain. The captain was a tall man in his mid-fifties, with a long handlebar mustache and grey unkempt hair. He was a good man, by all accounts, who ruled the Order of the Rose with as much compassion as discipline. The knights loved and respected him without question. In the years since he was named captain, the Order of the Rose had flourished among the other orders, the accomplishments of the knights far outshining all the rest. He had been Sylvan's mentor, friend, and companion. He admired him, loved him, trusted him implicitly, which made it all the more difficult to kill him. "'Beautiful night,' said Malvin, stretching his head from side to side, emitting a low, popping noise as he did so. "'My father was a ship's captain, you know. I spent years on the sea myself before coming to court. Farway Harbour is a gem on the coast. We stopped here many a time, though never on blooming day. I must admit, I had no idea they were so exuberant about the whole business.' Sylvan smiled, charming and easy. He was always good at play-acting a talent he'd inherited from his aunt. "'They're a welcoming folk, at any rate,' Sylvan commented with a wink. He felt the hairs on the back of his neck like they were covered in ice. A breeze blew, and he shivered. Forewarning. "'I heard,' Malvin said, with a knowing note. She bragged about it to half the regiment when she got back, and picked up a few more customers willing to show her her tussle with you had been nothing so special. Ah, "'She said she would be quiet about it,' Sylvan said. "'swinging his legs a little, feeling the blood course down to his feet. "'But I should have figured. "'I imagine the Order of the Rose doesn't drop by every day in Farway Harbour, "'so perhaps I gave her something to remember.' "'Malvin shook his head. "'Doubtful. "'She's an underclass whore. "'There's no profession more corrupt, more soulless. "'She's a painted Mary, is all. "'Or did you fancy her something more than that?' "'Laughing, Sylvan shook his head.' He put his hand flat down on the pier, feeling the whole structure sway slightly. He felt a little woozy, all things considered, and took a draw on his sig, hoping that might do the trick. A moment was all he had, because he heard a shuffle behind him, just a bit, a rustle of fabric, the slight clink of the dagger catching on one of Captain's buttons. He knew before Malvin said it. Malvin lowered his voice. But no, perhaps I am wrong. There is yet another, more soulless occupation that comes to mind, he said. He paused, and Sylvan now felt the pressure at the back of his neck. I've got a dagger to your neck now. Right where the spine meets the brain, to be more specific. I'd like you to stand for me now, slowly. 
Silva knew better than to make light of the situation, and in the silence as he stood, thoughts rushed through his mind. He flicked away his sig. So Malvin had found out. He was a sly wolf, that one, and it wasn't much of a surprise that he'd been feeling out for assassins. He knew the Queen hadn't been happy with his performance, and likely had an inkling of Sylvan's other pursuits. Up till now, the matter had never been spoken of. Malvin simply accepted that during their campaigns, Sylvan would slip away, and then return quietly. Usually, someone was dead in the aftermath, but if anyone could link the young knight to them, no one had succeeded yet. "'You're smart to shut that silver tongue of yours,' Malvin continued, taking Sylvan's arms and twisting them behind his back. Sylvan could have resisted, but he knew he would be needing his energy in a few moments, if he could just get the right footing. Malvin had an old injury that had cut some of the tendons in his right leg. It had never healed right, and Sylvan intended to take every advantage. "'I know what you do. I know what you've done. You've left a trail of blood a foot deep since we've been deployed, and I'll tell you, I'll have no more of it. This is my order, my knights, and God's Damn it, my command. Malvin's breath smelled slightly of corn liquor. I will not tolerate the presence of traitorous murderers. So you've had a drink, Sylvan thought. More scared of me than you think. And you've charmed your way into beds and into the hearts of everyone here. But you're too fecking self-absorbed to even consider that someone would take notice, that I would take notice. What do you have to say for yourself? Malvin's grip on Sylvan's arm was pulsing regularly, as if the man himself was shaking in time with his heartbeat. Was he frightened? Likely just pissed the feck off, Sylvan imagined. Though Sylvan couldn't be certain, he imagined the two of them were pretty well matched, though Sylvan himself was significantly shorter and more compact than the captain, and slightly less experienced. But he had other abilities in his favor. He felt a familiar tickle in the back of his nose, followed by tingling in his chest, right near his heart, but not on it. It was a subtle vibration, but comforting in its familiarity. The time was coming. "'I've only done as I've been ordered,' Sylvan said, softly, with as much warmth in his voice as he could convey. "'You would do the same.' "'No one gives you orders but me,' said the captain." I am your superior, and I will not have deceit among my ranks. Do you understand me? Sylvan said nothing, but hung his head a bit, hoping that it would be taken as a signal of defeat, or at least understanding on some level. Tell me, I can understand some of the deaths. Lord Halpin was greedy. Lady Faraday was an adulteress and a slanderer. Gilrambin was a rapist. But your fellow knights... Sir Cowper was no accident, though it was dressed up as a suicide. I saw the marks on his wrists. They were done after the fact, weren't they? I know nothing of the kind, said Sylvan, head still down. Sir Cowper had been a particularly difficult case, true, but the cuts were most certainly inflicted before he died completely. That information Sylvan was particularly privy to. But something reeked. Malvin wasn't that clever. Certainly he was intelligent, and a man of war and strategy, but there was no way he could know an anatomical detail such as that. Someone had tipped him off, shown him the evidence, and brought it to his attention, and Sylvan knew it could be one of only two people, Libby or Osric, which meant that someone beside Malvin would have to die tonight. The captain laughed, a rough, joyless tone. 
Oh, no idea, do you? Convenient, I suppose. But I promise you, Sylvain de Loire, that I have plenty of evidence against you in court. And even if your orders come from as high up as the Queen herself, I can assure you that counsel will have none of this. You will be brought to trial, and you will be hanged. Or worse. Mark my words. Sylvan wondered idly, in the strange calm that began to wash over him as it always did, what the two of them looked like from a distance. No one was at the end of the pier, at least he had, that he had sensed, but someone could likely be looking out of the window of the inn, casually observing. Chances were they looked like two old friends having a heart-to-heart. Internally, Sylvan cringed at the idea that there would be so many spectators— he had always orchestrated elaborate and creative assassinations, often with weeks and months in planning to look accidental or, in some cases, like brigands or thieves had done the deal. He was good at what he did, proud of his work on some level, and it hadn't usually bothered him, to say the least. Even with Sir Cowper, he hadn't really cared. He'd found the man a bore, though he knew Sir Malvin favoured him in more ways than one. That death had no doubt struck a nerve with the captain— Likely he'd been careless with that whole deal. Malvin was right about that, at least. Sylvan did get careless in his own bravado. Libby had warned him about it, too. But he didn't like taking people's advice, if he could help it. Libby. He hoped it hadn't been her that ratted him out. He did enjoy her quite a bit, but had to admit to himself that if anyone was smart enough among the Order of the Rose to rat him out under his nose, it was Sir Labelle. Malvin's grip tightened and Sylvan felt the sharp blade behind his head pierce through skin. So help me, gods, but I want to kill you right now. Be my guest, Sylvan said. There was no trembling to his voice, no waver. He felt the water below him. He smelled the salty air. He could sense Melvin's presence behind him like an angry red cloud, could see in his mind's eye every detail and weakness. It had almost been like this when he'd killed Cowper, but he'd been unable to completely concentrate. At the time, something was coming, but for now there was no one. For some reason that same word, Aldersgate, continued to resonate in Sylvan's mind. It was a connection that he didn't understand, but somehow his abilities were amplified knowing that the last tender was gone. He didn't even know what it was, and she hadn't said it directly, but he knew the woman was dead now. She had crossed over, and in her crossing granted him access to a weird and wonderful channel of power. It was exhilarating. Sylvan smiled, looking over the water. No, I have more honor than that, Deloire, Malvin said, shoving Sylvan around so that the two were face to face. The knife was now poised at his heart, one good turn from meeting his end. I don't, said Sylvan. And in that moment, clarity came to Sylvan Deloire, as certain as the tides. He looked into Malvin's eyes and saw what would happen. He watched himself turn slightly, forcing Malvin to adjust his arm. He saw his hand fly out and make contact with Malvin's chest, slide under the shirt, and touch the skin. In his hand, he felt the fluttering of the man's heart, felt the weakness, the helplessness, he saw Malvin's eyes widen with horror in the knowledge that something great and dark was giving him no choice, was plunging him headfirst into cold, relentless death. And then, as quickly as he saw the succession of events, he reenacted them, but this time with sound and deeper sensation. 
He twisted. Malvin compensated, and Sylvan knocked the knife from his fingers. Then he pressed his hand to the captain's chest, and Malvin's eyes shot wide, unbelieving. He tried to move, but it was as if the hand itself had become a part of him, anchored to the skin. Sylvan squeezed, twisted invisible fingers of darkness that went beyond the bones and limitations of his own hand into Malvin's chest. It will look like a heart burst, Sylvan whispered softly in Malvin's ear as the captain fell to his knees. They're coming out of the end now, hearing you cry. They will see me as I cradle you, hold you to me, mourn the sudden, terrible death. It can only be nature, as there was no blood, no weapon, no wound. But how cruel nature can be, sir, how cruel. They sunk down together, the two of them, Malvin's lips turning blue, gasping for air, but coming up with nothing but darkness. Mark my words. Mm -hmm.